Okay. Acts 14, our text is going to be 21 through 28 and then 1 through 11 in the 15th chapter. Listen to what it says here in 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. The last time we were in Acts, we looked at Paul, we looked at Barnabas and how they had come to the end of their travels and the decision they had to make. What was that decision? They could continue to press forward to go to Saul's hometown of Tarsus and then on to Syria and Antioch and then down to Jerusalem or they could turn around and they could go back. You see, they stopped there at Derby. They could turn around and go back. But to do that meant that they had to go back through the very same place where Paul was stoned, where the Jews were coming against them at every turn and actually had followed them to Iconium and to Lystra. It's a very dangerous place. And we, we noticed the last time we met that the evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand and they should never be separated. The emphasis is placed on evangelism by the simple fact that Paul and Barnabas went through their preaching in the first place. So the gospel was preached and they evangelized them and made disciples, but yet they stopped and then went back to the same place to turn around and disciple those new converts. This is a big deal. So they go from Derby and then they begin to come back. And the scripture says that they went through Lystra in verse 21 to Iconium and then to Antioch. And Antioch there is Poseidon. Verses 23, let's jump down to 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed to them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia. Everybody see that? Antioch and Poseidon. Up at the top. Then they go to Pamphylia and then they go to there at Attilia. This is where they are moving. They are moving, moving rather fast. They passed through Poseidon, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. The whole time, keep in mind, the whole time, they are preaching the word of God. They are teaching. They are instructing the people there very clearly. Verse 27, And when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. If you notice on your map here, uh, from Attilia, they do not go back to Cyprus. That's where Paul and Barnabas had went before. They don't go back to Cyprus. They go, and from Attilia, they sail back to Antioch in Syria. This was the major hub for the Gentiles. The major hub. Antioch and Poseidon and Antioch in Syria. This is the big place. This is where the Gentile converts are. This is where the church was established. And this is where Paul and Barnabas were commended and sent out from this place to go and minister beyond for the Gentiles. We see that Paul and Barnabas, they are traveling and they're traveling rather quickly according to God's word. This is why I'm not going to spend much time in their travels 
because the scripture doesn't. And so we will move on into chapter 15. Or let's, let's look at 27. They arrived and gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Beginning in chapter 15 and verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. And this is what they were teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You say, Pastor, we've, been, we've listened to the word of God our whole lives. We've never had anything like that come against us. We've never had anything this blatantly obvious come against us that we have had to stand up against. Really? Not too long ago, I had to stand up against it. It happened on a Wednesday night. Or, no, it was a Sunday night, I'm sorry. I had to stand up against it. And this is what it takes. All it takes is one person that's influential, one person that has enough money, one person that has a silver tongue, and one person that can, that can articulate his or her thought for some false teaching to spread. One person. Just one. Chapter 15, it says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. These were Jewish men that had came down. They had came down from Judea, from Jerusalem. They were pushing. They were actually going north on the map, but going down in elevation to Syria, to Antioch. And they come to this place. And when they come to this place, they begin to sow all sorts of discord. These Judaizers, they were saying what? They were teaching that circumcision was essential for salvation. And here we have a satanic attack against the church and against its leaders. A satanic attack against the church and against its leaders. If you're not circumcised, you can't be saved. These heretics were teaching falsehoods, untruths, lies to damage, to damage the church and to confuse the new Gentiles that had been grafted in. They wanted the Gentiles to yoke back up with the law of Moses. Paul and Peter talk about it later that we were not even able to keep the law. Why in the world would we yoke back up with it when God has set us free? Satan's plan and his plot is to impede the steps of the church. Do you know this is what he's still doing today? Still. His steps or his plans and his purpose is to impede, to trip up the church, the New Testament church. Like somebody that has a speech impediment. You can't understand them. They can't get out what they want to say. This is what he wants to do to the church. He wants to impede them in such a way that they are not beneficial for the kingdom. To slow them down, to throw enough cogs and enough wrenches into it that he slows the church down or gets it to stop altogether. He does this with different beliefs, with different doctrines. He does this with the unity in the church, sowing discord among the brethren, peace among the believers. And this is a really, really big deal that we have going on here in chapter 15. 
Because you say, well, we know the difference between that doctrine and what we believe. Yes, I'm sure you do. But the fact is that here in our text in chapter 15, circumcision is going to stand for much more than just what meets the eye. It's going to stand for something far greater. And that's any, any, anything that goes against salvation is in Christ Jesus by grace through faith. And this is what we have to understand. He is using this as a platform to launch this attack against the New Testament church. And we got to be, be wise to this and understand what's going on. No, he's not always going to come against us and use the same one. But anything that adds to grace, anything that takes away from grace, is of works. And that's on a multitude of different levels. This is a works-based teaching that these Jewish people were trying to impose on these Gentiles. Remember, anything added to grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, is of works and it is false. You say, Brother Matthew, what about all the different denominations? Well, we have all the different denominations because people are not reading the Word of God. They're cherry-picking this one and cherry-picking that one and saying, well, we're going to formulate what we believe on this, but we don't do that here at Grace. We go upon what Christ Jesus says. We go upon what Peter has said, what Paul has said. We go back to what has been preached from the beginning, and we don't leave it. Well, it cost us, you bet. But we cannot leave by grace alone through faith alone. We can't. The good works that we believe in here at Grace are the answering to a heart that has already been purified by faith in the risen Savior. Our works testify to the truth that He is in us. So yes, we have works, but know that the only reason we have good works is because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Good works do not save us. Good works answer to the truth that is within us. So these men come down and they are sowing this discord and sowing this false teaching. Verse 2, And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. Paul and Barnabas with others are appointed here by the church in Syria and Antioch Right there, to go south, even though it says up, that's in elevation, to go south to Jerusalem to pose this question before Peter and before James and John and the rest of them and the disciples there. And when they get there, as they go, they're going to be sharing the gospel on their way. Listen to what it says. So here they are and they're going to leave out and they're going to leave Syria and Antioch and they're going south. Their destination, Jerusalem. Listen to what happens. Verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria. Remember Samaria? In our study of Acts, remember Philip who went down there and had great success? 
And then he was, he was moved by the Spirit into the wilderness to be with the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that? Samaria, same place. What they called the half-breeds. Here they are, Paul, Barnabas, and a, and a, a multitude of them, really, are, are moving south to Jerusalem. They come through this place and don't think that they're not, now that this issue has been brought up, in verse 3, don't think that they're not going to address this issue now as they preach. As they move south, as they move closer towards Jerusalem, you bet they're going to be addressing this issue. And here's what Satan does, guys. I want us to see. Satan uses some of the things that we revere the most. To throw them in there so that we can get all sideways on what we believe. Here in this text, we're using the ordinances. The ordinances. The ordinances of the church. Satan wants to use to try to, try to deceive the people. To think that if we do this or if we do that, then we can obtain that salvation. One group that we know that believed that the wine and the bread turned literally into body and blood. There's a group that takes the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, that takes communion, holy communion, and they pervert it by saying that the bread actually turns into the body of Christ, that the wine actually turns into blood. That's a perversion of one of the ordinances. It does not save us. It does not save us. And they are wrong in this. It does not procure salvation for us. We take it to identify with Christ Jesus. We take it to remember what He has done for us and what He did for us at the cross. It doesn't literally turn into some real body and real blood of Christ. This is a wrong teaching. But yet it is so prevalent in today's era, is it not? Yes or no? It is. It absolutely is. And it doesn't stop there. And you say, well, Pastor, what, you know, I, we don't believe in circumcision here, but, but listen... There's another group that teach that baptism is essential for salvation. Kind of sounds like circumcision, doesn't it? Baptism is essential for salvation. We know different ones. And, and let me preface this by saying that in these different denominations and in these different places, we know that there are people that love the Lord and have been saved by His grace, but yet are still in error. And I pray that as they study and as they search and as they read and as their love for Christ grows, that they would be delivered from that just as Dickie was years ago. It's true. Those that have been saved by the grace of God, we need to pray that their eyes would be open to the truth and that they may be delivered from out of that bondage that they're yoked up with. We have brothers and sisters in all types of different religions and different denominations. Don't think that we don't. So there's some that teach that baptism is essential for salvation. It is wrong. There's no redeeming power in the natural temporal waters of the baptistry, nor in any river that is on this planet. None. None. 
But we see that there are people that teach this doctrine. While others teach that you must speak in tongues to be saved. And unless you have done that, then you're bound for hell. We see that that is a lie as well. See, circumcision represents all of these false teachings, all of these ideologies. This is why it is so important that Paul and Barnabas and Peter and the early apostles take care of this matter very quickly. Because if they don't, if they don't, it's going to spread. It wasn't just about circumcision, no. No. It was about all of these things that equal works and grace together. Circumcision represents all of these false teachings. Verse 3, listen to what it says. So being sent on their way to, by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Bless their hearts. It's like we can never get away from the Pharisees. All the way through the Gospels, now here in the book of Acts, they're still there. And they're still plaguing the truth of Christ. They're still there. The Pharisees, they drive me nuts. Every time I read them about them in the scriptures, I see their long coats. I see their long dress. I see how they have, have put the law on themselves to try to obtain salvation through it to no avail. You can't help but to see all the different things that the Pharisees do. All that they stood for. And they were no more righteous than they were the day before. Pharisees, they rise up. They say, you got to keep the law of Moses to keep and, and circumcision for salvation. Verse 6, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Remember, the apostles and the elders, they knew the truth. They knew what was delivered to them in the beginning. They knew that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ. They knew that. What are they doing? They are coming together as a council. Why? Because they're going to put an end to this doctrine once and for all. So we can have it in the scriptures right here in Acts chapter 15 that we can then go back on and say, no, we can't add to, we can't take away from. Right here. Right here. This is what's taking place in our text. This is what Simon and this is what Paul and Barnabas, this is what they're doing. They have laid the groundwork for us so that we do not veer off of it. Listen to what it says. Verse 7. This is where we get into the, the part of the text that we should really pay attention to because he's going back to the Gentiles and he's going to give us, Peter is going to give us a true account of what happened with him before Cornelius and those in his house in Caesarea. 
Listen to what it says as they were Gentiles. Verse 7, And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. I thought it was supposed to be to Paul. Paul was to be by his mouth the Gentiles would hear. Well, both of them are right. If you recall back in the early part of the church, when the church was growing and when the church was really thriving, people were sent all over the place. Peter was sent to Cornelius. This was, but this was before Simon, or this was before Paul went, went off. And, and Peter was sent to Cornelius. And why was he sent there? Because they were part of God's. And Peter was going there to preach the gospel to them so that they could believe. So he goes, and when he gets to Cornelius' home, they were ready for him. They were prepared for him. They wanted the Lord, is what they wanted. Acts chapter 10, turn with me if you can for just a moment. I'm winding this down. I have a few points to bring at the very end. Uh, but we do have, a, we have, this is why it's so hard, this passage, because it's such a big text. It goes all the way from Derby, all the way through the ocean, to Syria and Antioch, and then all the way down to Jerusalem. So this is a, a lot of traveling. But listen to what it says in Acts chapter 10. We're going back in time here to where Peter is standing before Cornelius, and he is going to preach to Cornelius and to his home, and this is what happens here in this text. And he is going to use this as an example to do away with this false teaching of salvation by circumcision. So this is what he is going to use in 45 or 43 through 48 in chapter 10. He's going to use this as an example to do away with circumcision. So pay attention. This is very important. Listen to what it says in 43. Chapter 10, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who? Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's not of circumcision. It's not of baptism. It's not of tongues. It's not of any of those things. It's for him who received forgiveness of sins through his name. 44, while Peter was still saying these things, he hadn't even finished his sermon to Cornelius in, his, in the home that was there and the people that was there. He hadn't even finished his sermon yet. And while he was saying these things, what happens? The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. What was taking place? They believed everything that Simon Peter was saying, everything that he was preaching. They were ready. They were ripe for the harvest. And here we have this, we have this conversion of, of uh, Cornelius and his family. And it is not of works, no type of works. Because Peter hadn't even got done preaching yet. And the Holy Spirit fell on them, did it not? Listen to what it says. 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, what were they hearing them speak? They were hearing them speak in other languages. 
This is what took place here in this text. We have spent multiple, much, much hours on this speaking in tongues thing. So we don't feel like we have to go back through that. It was not gibberish, it was actual languages. The people with Peter understood that. So they know that the gospel, that the salvation, that the Holy Spirit has now went from the Jews also now to the Gentiles. And this is where Peter takes his argument from. Because he firsthand experienced what God did among the Gentiles. He was an apostle. It was his job to then go and report back to the church in chapter 11 to show this. Believe it or not, in chapter 11, Simon Peter encounters those that are teaching on circumcision in the next passage. And here again in chapter 15, we have the same thing going on. But I want to finish what happened there with Cornelius. 47, it says this. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? It is very clear, very clear, that baptism did not save them. We see it right here. They were already saved. The Holy Spirit had already came upon them. They were already testifying and showing evidence of the Spirit dwelling within them. So Peter uses this argument to combat the Judaizers in the New Testament church in chapter 15. He says, can anybody withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Turn back to chapter 15. So Simon Peter here is using this argument, using this experience that happened with him, that he bore witness to, against the false teaching that was coming up in the early church in chapter 15. In Acts 10, it's about the grace of God. The people hearing, the people believing by faith, and nothing else added to it. And this is where Peter takes his stand. It's about the Gentiles' hearts being purified by faith. Listen to what Acts 15, 8 through 11 says. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them. Who's he talking about? To those in Cornelius and those in this home. By giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. That's what we just read. Verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Now, very quickly, let me give you just a couple of points, then I'm going to finish up. I saved this just for the last, because I want us to see Paul or Peter's closing argument here and what he is teaching us and what he is showing us when it comes to salvation. 
First, I want you to write this down. Faith purifies the heart. Faith purifies the heart. It's laying claim to the truth of the word of God. Listen to what it says in verse 9. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. Look at verse 9. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by what? By faith. The word is heard, it is believed, and is taken in by faith. And what happens? What is the side effect of this? The heart then is purified. There's no baptism here. There is no circumcision here. We say the grace of God working through the gospel message and those believing, taking it in wholeheartedly by faith. It is not based upon some experience that we have had, some emotion where we cried, even though those are good times, or some work that you've done. It has nothing to do with baptism. It has nothing to do with circumcision. It has nothing to do with any outward means whatsoever. It has everything to do with grace and faith. Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with some words you've repeated or even your parents or your family. Nothing. It is based upon the truth of Christ. The truth of the Word of God and applying it to our hearts by faith. Nothing added, nothing taken away. This is what Peter is telling us. Cornelius, ladies and gentlemen, believed the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith and before Peter was even finished preaching, they were saved. So faith purifies the heart. Laying claim to the truth of the Word of God. Second, let's look at who's doing this. Look at verse 8. This wonderful work that's taking place. We know this. But listen to what it says in verse 8. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them. Who's doing it? God. And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them. The Holy Spirit, where do all good and perfect gifts come from? Where does salvation come from? It comes from above, and it does not come out of the skies. It does not come out of the clouds. It does not come from Jupiter or the Mars or the stars or anything else. It comes from God. It comes from the Lord. He has given us the Holy Spirit, wherein we have been made partakers of the heavenly calling where we are made heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. With the Jews and with the Gentiles. Verse 10, listen to what it says. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe... That we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So Peter here makes no difference between Jew and Gentile. 
He makes no difference in the Gospels that were preached. There was not two Gospels or three Gospels or a Gospel between this one and a Gospel between that one. That's not true. That didn't happen. One Gospel. Peter's here testifying to that. Nothing taken away from it. Nothing added. Case closed. Understand that Peter is doing this before the Jerusalem council, before the church, before the elders, before the apostles, before the disciples. This was a big deal. We're going to see it come up in all the different writings of Paul. Why? Yeah, it has something to do with circumcision, sure. But we understand that nowadays. But it has everything to do with a works-based theology. And any time we begin to slip back into that, we are no different than the Pharisees and the Jews that were coming against the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15. This is why it is so important that we hold true to the Word of God. This is the truth of salvation. The same Spirit that saved then is the same Spirit that saves now. There's no difference. No difference. We are right. And I'm not saying we're right in our own eyes. I'm not saying that at all. We are right in what we believe as salvation. We're not basing it up upon Joseph Smith. We're not basing it upon some, uh, some premonition or some weird thought by Amy Simple McPherson. No, not at all. We're basing it upon Jesus Christ. We're basing it upon the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and what was given to us from them, from the foundation. The foundation of the church was built upon Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone of the head of the corner. It came from him. The foundation was laid by the apostles and was built upon that cornerstone. And here we are today, still doing the same thing. Jesus preached the true gospel. Peter preached it and Paul preached it. There was not two different gospels. If you recall, almost a year to go to the date... I was attacked about what we believe, and I had to defend it with Scripture. I had to defend it with Scripture on a Sunday night. And it was said that there are two different Gospels. A Gospel that Jesus preached and a Gospel that Paul preached. That's wrong. That is heresy. That is not true. There is not two different messages. There is not two different gods that's going to come back and get his church. There's one. One message, one gospel, one way, one truth, and that is by grace are we saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is a gift from above, a gift from God, not of works. At least anyone should boast. Peter takes a stand right here. And he says, you know what? 
This is going to be a problem from here on out. Anybody that's going to bring up works, anybody that's going to try to mix that and mingle that with the grace of God, don't be confused, don't be deceived, don't go astray. What you receive from the beginning, stand strong upon and don't move off of it. I truly believe that Grace Baptist Church is doing that. Be encouraged by that. That 2,000 years later, 2,000 years after the gospel spread, that we are still, still preaching that and still holding to that. Don't be discouraged, be encouraged. And when anything outside of this comes in, then we have a way to address it. Just as Peter did, just as Paul did. We have a way to address it. We have a way to go about it. And we have a way to, to put that down and to come back to the truth. And so I pray today that this passage of Scripture, I pray, has, has encouraged you. We moved a great distance uh, in, in geography in the text, but we also moved greatly through doctrine in this text as well. And so I pray that that has encouraged your hearts, uh, that we are holding to that truth. It's not easy. It's offensive. It's scandalous. It's hard. But it makes no difference. We must hold to what we heard from the beginning. Just as Jesus taught it and Peter and Paul and John, we must continue to as well. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and we are extremely grateful.